Well, that is not an acoustic recording. It's a recording obtained from a piano roll that's been reconstructed. And it's a recording of the composer himself, uh, Claude Debussy, playing Claire de Lune in uh, around about 1913. Well, it's exactly one year since I launched Amatopod. And on this first anniversary, it's appropriate and I think relevant to re-examine our values and goals. Now, Anatopod has had zero marketing and yet has reached thousands of downloads, so clearly far more views than those who wish to download an audio podcast. And I think what's more important is that it's hit into over 50 countries. For me, it's particularly gratifying, not that its principal sites are Australia, the United States, the United Kingdom, Israel and India, but rather that people in Uganda, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Moldova, Estonia, Poland, Uruguay, the Czech Republic, Iran, Jamaica, Sudan, Taiwan and Morocco are tuning in. This is important. It's a signal of the democratising force of this medium and at the end of the day if I can help people learn anatomy then the job is done. We learn too from the raw number crunching statistics what people are interested in. Now examination here tells a lot. The greatest interest has been in the osteology of the skull, the bones and the foramina and I suppose that I shouldn't be surprised about this. It's been the aim to start this series this year, focusing uh, on the head and neck. And I've heard back from neurosurgical trainees in particular across the world. I'll give a shout out to uh, the uh, kind suggestions of Embray in South Africa that this is the kind of teaching that they want. And it needs to be didactic, but to have clinical relevance. I'll come back to that shortly. I said that we shouldn't be surprised that the skull foramina were top of the list of likes because that's one of the areas at the start of the Head and Neck seminar podcasts that I separately singled out. The students want to be able to take a skull, look at it from the inside as well as from the outside and to name and identify the foramina and what traverses through them. I think if an anatomy class doesn't address this, at least for the head and neck, then people are going to lose interest. Now, when we round back to this after having um, done the rest of the body, I'll recover this area again. But we'll add then some interesting detail next time, for example, about the ossification or the osteology of that region or why it might be important, say, in paediatric surgery for craniosynostosis. If we get all of this out there on the internet, the audience can become progressively more and more detailed, if you like, more and more sophisticated. But pick what you want from it and use it in the clinic. That too, I think, is an aim of this uh, series. The other big areas of downloads were next the triangles and fasci of the neck. 
the prevertebral musculature and cervical plexus, the autonomic nervous system, and uh, the head and neck viscera, and also the brainstem nuclear layout. Now, some of this was a little unexpected. We know that the neck viscera, the autonomic nervous system, and the fascia and triangles are part of that big seven areas that I started off saying that we needed to know about the head and neck. Conquer those seven big areas and the head and neck itself is conquered. The neck fascia and triangles is a vital area to orientating yourself. How do I divide up the neck regions? How do I understand them? How do I categorise neck lumps? These are all parts of the same thing. And so it's very important to chase this area again, uh, to re-go over these concepts and to expand on them. I think the interest in the scalene musculature was a bit of a surprise to me, but the cervical plexus perhaps shouldn't be. It's important and yet fairly poorly understood and remembered. Uh, why it's important, what is a plexus structure, how does it link to the brachial plexus, I think these are important. And the more we can synthesise how plexi look, how they're injured, for example, what are the clinical signs of injury, how that ties into the anatomy, then the better off our students will feel about this part of the anatomy. So I think there's more work to do here, but it's going to be valuable work. And it proves, I think, also the value in conceptualising how the parasympathetic system works in the head and neck. Uh, and there was an appreciation of this explanation that ties into the structure and function of the ciliary, pterygopalatine, submandibular and otic ganglia, how they're structured, what their pre- and post-ganglionic fibres and their nuclei and targets are. I know after our sessions that the students understood them and their setup because we've had good feedback in that regard. That's important too. And next time when we go around and do this area again, we'll perhaps bring in more clinical data concerning their injury and operative approaches. So slowly, slowly, always asking what the significance of the anatomy we've learned is. If we know, as I've said, what it means and why it matters, then we'll remember it. it, doesn't matter where we are in the body. Without a place to anchor it, I think a lot of the anatomy is a bit meaningless and that explains why students are constantly relearning anatomy, why it doesn't stick. And this is where I hope anatopod is different. Now in this regard, I'm constantly told uh, in my university not to teach who discovered something in the body. The students don't want to know that, I'm told. They don't care about the backstory. Nobody cares how much Francois Majondi was hated for his vivisection experiment on greyhounds in London and how he triggered legislation for the RSPCA. They just want to know the foramen of Majondi, which links the fourth ventricle to the cisterna magna. But others, I think, might appreciate his fights with Sir Charles Bell in the delineation of the peripheral sensory nerves and the motor nerves and their attempts to separate the archetypical spinal cord structure that we know, the gracile and cuneate fasciculi, the spinothalamic tracts, the corticospinal tracts, and how these guys experimented to find them out and to correlate 
their classification with the observable lesions that they saw in the brown saccade type syndromes or with anterior spinal artery occlusions. I think differently. I think if we know a little history, we can tie on that history with the anatomy of lesions. We can understand how patients are diagnosed, assessed and managed. And there have been a small hardcore group of you out there who have a particular interest in the history and I've heard from you. And yes, we'll continue with it and include some of the stories of the individual flamboyant anatomists themselves. That vein is pretty rich and don't worry, we haven't scratched the surface of that. I thought about this too and I'm interested in the historical vignette, the pithy anatomical anecdote. Who knows, for example, about the London dentist Martin Van Butchel, whose first wife Mary was embalmed and who he sat in the front room of his house charging people admission to see it. Or a Baron von Wasseren, the Admiral of the Dutch fleet and the glutton who burst his esophagus in front of Hermann Berhave and which became Berhave syndrome. We need to hear some of those stories like that. And for that reason, I'm also starting a series on this channel, which is called The Anatomy Cupboard, Tales from the Top Shelf, which are going to be posted initially once monthly to start off with, uh, just to these sort of anatomical stories and anecdotes. If it becomes something of interest, we may actually do them fortnightly. Indeed, if there's energy on my part, it'll increase to once fortnightly. But there are many of these stories to hear, and I hope, that you enjoy them. Please let me know on our Anatopod Facebook site. Just leave a message and I can get back to you. I'm not actually endorsing Facebook, by the way, or I suppose we should call it Meta, but it is the most popular uh, platform. And I must say, I don't have time to worry about Twitter much or Instagram, but perhaps I can change my mind if there's more interest in that. Uh, it's all a matter of that most valuable of commodities, uh, time. Now, it's also clear that this service needs to expand and grow. And after this series through 2021 on the head and neck, we'll move on in 2022 onto the anatomy of the upper limb and the lower limb and the relevant osteology, as well as the anatomy of the thorax. And we'll include a lot of clinically relevant anatomy here before moving in 2023 onto the abdomen and the pelvis. There are going to be specialist podcasts along the way on seminal important embryology, embryology explained, if you will. That's very much needed. And a section on the vertebral column and spinal cord. I'm currently negotiating with a neurosurgical colleague to get heavily into neuroanatomy. And we have quite a nice curriculum set, on, set up on that. But that'll need to be negotiated as I create definitive scripts. As I'm not a neuroanatomist, I'm going to need to closely structure these uh, with him. And it will be done. I know from our communications with the NSU trainees that this is an important part of Anatopod. But I think at the end of 2023, we can then look at revising and revisiting the head and neck again from the start if there's enough energy and enthusiasm. It's a bit like those painters on the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Once you get to the end, it just means that you've got to start all over again. So reinforcement in anatomy is a good thing, and after all, one of the aims here is to get all of this material out onto the internet.
So this is what we expect you to know. This is the level. This is why it's important. This is what it means. This is how you use it in the clinic. This is how you use it in the OR. Is all of this sounding pretty familiar? Once it's on the internet, it's there for good and our work or my work is done. But having said that, I want to expand. The future is to explain embryology, osteology, maybe anatomical pathology, and to create separate podcasts for very specific subjects, perhaps to individualise it for undergraduates as well as for postgraduates, to focus on the connection between radiology and anatomy, to expand on anatomical concerns in minimally invasive approaches, to highlight dental aspects of head and neck anatomy or expand on oncological anatomy. There are many, many ways one can go. And for this, we need better equipment. I think we should professionalise the podcasting in a dedicated studio. I do it out of my home now uh, or my office. And to include, I think, maybe anatomy interviews, second and third opinions, interactive perspectives. That means placing the production, I think, of the podcast ultimately in the hands of professionals. And that, I'm afraid, means money. One hesitates to discuss this, but I think it's fair game now. I've thought about it over the last year and will continue to podcast whilst this can be debated or discussed. I think the anonymity of the Patreon or patron crowdfunding is probably appropriate and ethical. If people have been following the podcast, want to contribute on a monthly basis, say the price of a cup of coffee, then that's great. If they want to continue to listen and they don't wish to contribute, I think that's great too. And I've had no problems in putting up these podcasts open and free and will continue to do that. But I'm hoping that people will contribute to the Patreon system. I'm including on this podcast, uh, you'll see a little logo for it and a little site that you can go into just by clicking that, which is a, a direct Patreon connection. So if you want to continue and listen, you don't want to contribute, that's perfectly fine by me. My principles don't change because of money, but it's it all helps. And I'm aiming to raise... Uh, maybe ten dollars or $10,000 or so over a year to cover the expenses if we're going to do these um, podcasts professionally, get better professional equipment and start to uh, involve interviews. If we wish to open a dedicated website or blog, then we can think of a bit more. But I'm not particularly looking uh, at milking any of this or trying to get rich out of it. That's not how it works. And come hell or high water, the goal is to get all of this anatomy out there onto the internet. I don't and won't have actually premium sections uh, on this podcast where some people can pay and get access to a premium section. Everybody will have access to all of these sessions. Uh, They're going to be available to people who don't pay. That's fine. A percentage of our intake... um, is going to also go to climate research uh, and climate activism. Uh, So that's got to be okay with you if you're contributing uh, something to the Patreon system here. Uh, I'm not using advanced or specialised sections. Everyone has equal access. And I want really more people to participate and let me know through our Anatopod Facebook site or Meta site how we can improve. 
So how would it work? Well, I've set up, as I say, a Patreon site which has an attached badge on the website um, uh, Facebook page and Atapod, and you can then see the site to enter. If you click that, it leads you to a Patreon site that allows you to pledge a monthly amount. So uh, let us call those who contribute, let's say, $1 to $5 a month or whatever the equivalent is in your country. That's about a cup of coffee or less. Now, I know in some places that's fine, whereas in other places it's not. It's, it's a factored in expense. That's okay. But let's call those people Anatopod Affiliates. And if you're an affiliate, I'll shout out your name on the next podcast or on an honour roll at the end of each month. Uh, that probably doesn't mean very much, but you can have the warm, fuzzy glow inside that you're helping us get better, maybe saying, OK, we appreciate what you're doing over the last year or so. Um, there are some favourites, uh, young Embray, uh, who's communicated a number of times from South Africa, took the time to let me know how much this is helping her in her studies of neurosurgery. Others have let me know that they're listening to these podcasts when they're running or between OR cases and procedures and just before going to sleep, although I'm not really sure if the data there is there to say that that actually uh, embeds into the brain. One of my old residents from Israel tells me that he likes it between his vascular cases, some of which are open and others of which are interventional, so he's got a lot of time in his hands, a lot of time wasting around, so... He doesn't like to waste that time and he listens to the podcasts. All of that kind of stuff is good. So then after an affiliate, the next level up would say be about $10 a month, a couple of cups of coffee a month or whatever that equivalent is in your country. Uh, Say the cost of a decent BLT sandwich in some places. I lived and worked in Israel for many years, so a really good uh, falafel or a great shawarma that I once had in Dubai, that would be about the cost of it a beautiful Cubano that you can get at the Port of Spain airport in Trinidad and Tobago. I used to be an examiner in anatomy there. Uh, and for that price of $10 a month, you're an anatopod guardian angel. And I want you to let me know what the topics are that you want covered as a podcast in the series, and I'll do it. And that's going to be your podcast. And we've already had many suggestions, but yours will be prioritised. I had one, for example, to discuss the anatomy of the brachial plexus as it pertains to injury assessment, operative approaches, brachial plexus repairs. That's a classically good one, just an example. And then finally, the top tier, let's say that you give $15 at the top scale or, uh, or above, you can feel free. Uh, per month, then you become an Anatopod Templar. And uh, I'll send you a copy of my ebook, which is called The Figurative Life of the Cadaver. It's about the history of corporeal dissection. And I've also just finished another book on the social impact of infectious disease. So I'm happy to send this along too in draft note form. So we've attached to this um, podcast the patron badge to remind you. And there's also a URL link, which is pretty simple to remember. That's the HTTPS colon dash dash as you start in all of these. But it's patron.podbean.com slash anatopod. Anatopod's all in capitals. 
So it's patron.podbean.com slash anatopod. Look forward to meeting more of you virtually. I look forward also to continuing with this series, which is to run for another two to two and a half years before we look at restarting over. Support it. If you do, that's great. Or don't, which is perfectly fine too. But I'm going to carry on with that same enthusiasm at the start. The job is important, and so is the history. Let's all enjoy our anatomy and its unique story. And thanks for listening and for your support.